0: This series, we took a bit of a break from uh, this series for the last couple of weeks. We focused on prayer for a bit, uh, but we've been on this series uh, for a while now, meeting Jesus at the feasts. And so we've been looking at um, the feasts of Israel, the Jewish feasts. And the reason why we were, you know, why I've been going through this is so that um, through this series, we would get a better understanding of who Jesus was uh, through the Old Testament lens. Because all of this, it points to Jesus. The feasts, the fulfillment is found in Jesus. And it's fascinating when you look at the Old Testament and you see how it ties into the New Testament. You see how it ties into the coming of Jesus Christ. It's, so, it's amazing to see that. And so our hope is that you know, this series would have just deepened the appreciation for the Old Testament for us. And so we're just going to do a little, I'm just going to do a little bit of a recap of this series. Uh, Again, we started this series back in April, and it's June now. Wow, doesn't time fly? I mean, I say that so much, so often, you know, time flies. It really does. Time just goes by so quickly. Seasons change, and before you know it, weeks, months, even years go by just like a blink of an eye. Um, Because of the nature of time, I don't think this is unique to how we experience time. Here in, in, you know, 21st century in Canada, we can see, you know, time flies. We get so busy, right? I don't think this is a new experience of time. I think people have always experienced this sort of thing. And so that's why it's important to set things on a calendar. You know, Ali always, we have this big calendar at home. She's like, do you have a meeting coming up? Put it on the calendar, do you have something coming up? Put it on the calendar. Because if, you, if I don't, I could actually totally miss it. I forget, right? Because time goes by so quickly. The Jewish feasts, the seven biblical feasts, are like God's calendar. That God set for the people of Israel so that they can commemorate what God has done and look forward to what he is going to do. And they do this every day year. And so the biblical feast is like a calendar. The seven biblical feasts are found in the book of Leviticus 23. And here's a diagram. Um, We looked at, you know, the feasts are divided into two seasons. There's the spring season, then the fall season. So far, we looked at the spring feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost. And through this series, we, um, we learned that The spring feasts have been fulfilled with the first coming of Jesus. We talked about how Passover represents the death of Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, whose blood was shed for us. Unleavened bread represents Christ's burial, and we looked at matzah. The, the, the actual matzah bread that the Jewish people eat and how it's flat. There's no leaven in it, representing there's no sin. Like Jesus, who is without sin. And the matzah has holes pierced into the, the bread the way Jesus was pierced for our iniquities, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And so the unleavened bread represents the burial, Christ's burial. First Fruits represents the resurrection of Jesus, and then Pentecost represents the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so now we are into the Fall Feasts, the next section. And uh, these feasts are often referred to as the prophetic feasts. And the reason is because these feasts all point to the second coming of Jesus. The second coming. And so today we are going to be talking about the first of the fall feasts, which is called the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets. Um, Just a quick few facts for you about the Feast of Trumpets. In Hebrew, the Feast of Trumpets is called Yom Truah. Yom Truah. And Yom Truah was celebrated on the first day of the seventh month in the Jewish calendar, the first day of the seventh month. Now the word yom means day, and trua means shouting or blasting. Okay? The day of blasting. That's what, that's what that literally means. A day of shouting and blasting. Now, today the Jewish people they don't call it this. They don't call it yom trua. They call it something else. Today the Jewish people call it Rosh. Hashanah. Have any of you heard that term, Rosh Hashanah? The words Rosh Hashanah means head of the year or beginning of the year. And really Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish new year. And so the day of trumpets, the feast of trumpets is like the Jewish new year. Now in ancient Jewish tradition, it was on this day, the feast of trumpets, first day of the seventh month, in Jewish tradition, they believe that that's the day God created Adam and Eve. And so that was the birth the birth date of humanity was the day of trumpets. And so today, Jewish people, when they greet each other on the Feast of Trumpets or on Rosh Hashanah, they greet each other by saying, may you have a good year. Um, may you have... Uh, may you look forward to this new year. And so again, it's kind of like <clears throat> our new year, you know, where we look, we, we come to New Year's Day and we say goodbye to the former year, the past year, and we look forward to what's ahead, right? That's what the Feast of Trumpets is like. It's a day in which people look forward to what is ahead. That's what Trumpets is all about. Now I have with me here, uh, a ram's horn, it's real, it's a real ram's horn. The sticker on there, I'm not going to take it off, I like it. It says, shofarot Israel, the word shofar means trumpet in uh, uh, Hebrew, it's, uh, where it's talking about a ram's horn, and um, it's funny, I just, I've recently got, I've always wanted one of these, um, but I'm like, where do you get a ram's horn, like in Canada, like where do you, where do you get that, right? So, <clears throat> I got it on Amazon, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Uh, it's funny, the other, not long ago when this arrived in the mail, I I took it out of the the package, and my dog went crazy, (laughs) because, uh, you know, once in a while, we get her deer antlers for a treat. Not all the time, they're they're expensive, but, uh, sometimes she'd get this treat of a deer antler, and so when I pulled this out, she was like, what, is that a deer antler? She was, like, going like this, she almost (laughs) grabbed it, I was like, wow, that's a real ram's horn, (laughs) you know, my dog knows right away, and so... Ram's horns, uh, this was, pro- was kind of like, I mean, you'll see different types. You'll see the long ones at prayer in the park. The person who blew the shofar had the really long one. Uh, but these are more like the ones that Aaron, the priest, would have carried, uh, tied to his, you know, the side there, and he would, he would have been carrying it. And uh, ram's horns were used for many different purposes, uh, to carry water, uh, to carry oil in them for anointing purposes, Uh, But they were mostly used as a trumpet. Boop, boop. Yeah, so. All right, I'm going to try, okay? You might have to turn this. All right, I need some water. All right, here we go. (coughs) I just got this like two weeks ago, okay? Okay, so. I know Wayne can do this, but. You can do it too. <laughs> I might need some help from sound back there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rob. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I'm going to actually try, okay? Oh, thank you. Oh man, I get lightheaded too. Oh, I'm going to, I can't do that too long. I might pass out. Leviticus 23, verse 23 to 25. This is what it says. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel saying in the seventh month on the first day of the month you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. That's basically it. That's what the Feast of Trumpets is all about. The blasting of a ram's horn. Okay, have a great week, everyone. That's it. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but literally, that's it. That's what it's all about. But I want to point out some, some things here. <clears throat> the Feast of Trumpets, I mean, it has the shortest instructions of all the trumpets. If you look at Leviticus 23, uh, there's not too much to it. There's just a few couple verses. And so, um, but God says that you're going to blast the trumpet as a memorial to remember But you see, the unique thing about this feast is that it doesn't tell us what, what the remembrance is. Like, what are you doing it for? The other feasts, God mentioned. Do these things to remember this event. Do this to remember that. But for trumpets, it doesn't say that. Perhaps the reason is because trumpets was supposed to be, the the trumpets were supposed to be blown as as a memorial to look forward to what God is going to do. To look forward. Just like what Rosh Hashanah is all about, to look forward to the new year. That's what it's for. To look forward to what God is going to do. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about trumpets. In fact, they were used for many different purposes. Here are a few of them. Trumpets were used for the calling of assemblies, For the journeying of camps. For inaugurating kings. They were used as alarms. For battle cries in war. They were used during offering and sacrifice services. And they were used in weddings. And we are going to actually get to that. That last one. We're going to get to that later in this talk. Uh, One thing I want to mention is that trumpets. Are actually mentioned quite a lot in the scriptures. And every... A lot of times when trumpets are mentioned, it's like it's talking about when God is about to say something or the trumpets are related to God's speaking or God's voice. Often we see that in the scriptures, trumpets being related to God's speaking or God's voice. Exodus 19, 18 to 19 says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like a smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. It's talking about the presence of God. The presence of God was there on Mount Sinai. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. And so right there, just the idea the sound of a trumpet is related to when God is speaking. In Revelation 1.10, in the New Testament, this is what it says, I, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice, a loud voice, like a trumpet. And again, in Revelation 4.1, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Now, in each of these verses, it talks about the voice of God or or, or God speaking. Jesus is speaking. In Revelation there, Jesus is speaking. And his speaking is related to the sound of a trumpet. And the interesting thing to note is each time the sound of a trumpet or that word trumpet is used to refer to God speaking. Right after, something profound happens. Something profound. God's glory is about to be revealed. God was about to do something big. So people would hear his voice, sound of a trumpet, and all of a sudden after that, God does something big. Here's another passage in Revelation 8.6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The angels were about to blow the trumpets because God's glory was about to be revealed. So the blowing of trumpets serves as a reminder that God is about to do something, that God is about to be revealed in some way. Now, last Sunday at prayer in the park, the first thing that took place—the the fir- to you know gather the assembly together, the people together. Paul Schultz, a man, uh, man of God, I respect greatly. He had a big ram's horn. I think it's a ram's horn. Anyway, a huge shofar. And he came up, and that was the first thing that happened. He blew the shofar. And, you know, for some of us, especially today, you know, so long away from ancient uh, Jewish customs, would look at that and be like, why do we do that? You know, it's kind of strange. If we're going to blow anything, why not a trumpet, like a silver trumpet or, you know, a brass trumpet? Why the ram's horn? And uh, it just, it, it, it can seem a bit odd, but there is great significance to why we do that because, again, biblically speaking, the blowing of the shofar is for calling God's people together. And the blowing of the shofar serves as a reminder that God is about to be revealed in some major way. And so I, we believe that God's going to be revealed in a major way in Waterloo Region. That's why we... Are, do the things that we do. That's why we do prayer in the park. Because we believe that God is going to do something massive in Waterloo Region. And we came together and we prayed. Towards the end, we were praying for God to move in, in, in several different areas in our, in our cities. And you know, I got I to gotta admit though, I was a bit discouraged this week. Because last week, we prayed. I mean, there was a real spirit of intercession that came upon the crowd when we were praying for the end of suicide in Waterloo Region, that it would end, that it would stop, that God, by his mercy, but that through his grace would work in a powerful way through the lives of people, that God would just, we would see an end to that. And just two days later, we re, i I, heard, I don't know if you heard it on the news, just up the street, Northfield Bridge there, a man in his 40s jumped off the bridge. Two days after prayer in the park, and it was on the news. I was like, God, what's going on? We're, what's going on in our region? I believe we need to continue to pray and seek the Lord. And to get serious with God and say, God, we, we believe that you love this city and you love everyone here. So do what only you can do, Lord. God's calling us to pray. And so the blowing of the shofar at prayer in the park was a way to say, God, you're going to do something massive soon. So how does the Feast of Trumpets find its fulfillment in Christ? Well, it points to his second coming. The blowing of the trumpets serves as a reminder that Christ is going to return soon, that he will be coming back, that he is coming back for his bride God's people. And this is where the Jewish wedding ties into this talk. In the New Testament, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. Now, I know when we read scripture, a lot of times when we read the scriptures, we look at how God, you know, refers to his people. A lot of times, male gender pronouns are used. He, him, son. Son. Son of God, sons of God, son of man. And there are songs that we sing. Um, Be thou my vision, for instance. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I ever with thee and thy with me, Lord. Thou my great father and I thy true son. And every time we sing that, I, I, I always wonder. I'm like, man, I wonder how the women feel when they sing that part, right? You're my, true, you're my father, and I'm your son? You know, it, it is kind of strange. I mean, I think we led that song a couple weeks ago, and I, I remember thinking that, oh, that, that, must sound, that must feel awkward. But then I, you know what? I realized, I'm like, you know, while we're on earth, sure, we'll be referred to as sons of God, but for eternity, I'm going to be called the bride of Christ, okay? So, as far as I'm concerned, we're even Stephen. okay? So, anyways... <laughs> Ancient Jewish weddings were very interesting. In ancient times, weddings were not like what they are today at all. I mean, very different customs. The family got very involved in the ancient Jewish wedding ceremony. Often the groom's father, so his son's about to get married, the father would go and find a family that has a daughter. And he's like, oh yeah, I think I think she'll... I think they'll be just fine. These two will be just fine together. And so he'll tell his son, yep, I found your uh, bride-to-be. And so the son would then go to his bride-to-be's home to meet with the father. And uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't like what we do today where, you know, it's like, oh, can I have your, you know, I'd like to have your blessing, pops. You know, it's not like that. I mean, sort of. I mean, they, I'm sure they got to know each other. It's like, okay, what are you going to do? What do you, what's your uh, occupation and how are you going to provide for my daughter? So I'm sure they had those talks. But actually, the main thing that they did was talk about money. All right? How much are you going to pay for my daughter? Very different mindset, right? There was a bridal price. And so the son would come in. And it wasn't like it was a Kijiji deal. Okay? And so the father's like, <clears> 1000 <throat> And the, and the you know the groom's like, oh, okay, I hear your thousand eight hundred. Okay, he wasn't a lowball type of deal going on. It wasn't like that at all. The groom would come with a massive gift, tens of thousands, if you want to look at it that way. Cattle, silver, jewelry, all this stuff. Why? Because I want to symbolize with all these things how much. I love or I will love and value your daughter. And so it was a massive financial gift that the groom would bring. It wasn't a lowball offer. This speaks to the love of Christ for us. Again, we're the bride of Christ. Jesus paid A huge price, massive price for you and me to be called his own. He paid with his life. He paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Now, after hours of negotiation, finally they come to a deal. And the bride's father would then go to his daughter. The father would go to his daughter and say, okay. Okay. A deal's been made, it's finished. And the, the bride would then, cr- you know, fix a nice meal in a separate room. And the groom would then come to that room, the door of that room, and he would knock on the door. And if the bride wanted to move forward with this wedding, she would open the door and he would come in. And when, they, when he comes in, they would have supper together. Eating together is one of the most sacred things that we can do as humans, as people. I think I've said this before in Korean culture. Eating together is a very, it's almost like a religious act. Not quite. A spiritual act. Let's put it that way. It's like a spiritual act. Because it's so sacred. We need to eat in order to live. And so when we come together, we eat together, it's like it's symbolizing we're doing life together. So it's very sacred. It's very profound. It connects us in life in a beautiful way. Revelation 3.20. It's where Jesus comes in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me, This is talking about Jesus standing at the door of our hearts, knocking. And he's using the imagery of the ancient Jewish wedding feast. And so this is talking about intimacy with Jesus, the bridegroom, and us, the bride. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that cool? Now at the marriage supper, the groom would then take a cup of wine... And you would drink from it. You would take it you would pass it to the bride-to-be. And then she would drink from that cup. She would drink the wine. And the drinking of the wine sealed the marriage covenant. That was like signing on the dotted line. Is the drinking from the cup. That meant they are now husband and wife. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five 25-26 says, In the same way also, he took the cup after supper. Do you see how when we get an understanding of the Jewish roots, the feasts, how the New Testament just comes alive? Isn't that fascinating? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Wow. Jesus was making the covenant with us. And as soon as we, every time we partake in communion, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. We are proclaiming that he is the bridegroom and we are the bride. That's what we're doing. It's a profound act. After the wine is taken, after the marriage covenant was made, the groom would then leave. But before he left, he would give the bride gifts. Gifts to remember him by. Sometimes it was makeup or jewelry, silver jewelry, something very special, so that every time she would look at it or hold it, it would remind her of the love that her, her husband has for her so these gifts were given while he went away Jesus has given us gifts as well he gave us the gifts of the holy spirit who is with us who dwells in us he gives us gifts of the holy spirit and it's interesting the bible says that the greatest of the gifts it's not tongues it's not prophecy it's not healing as awesome as those gifts are, the greatest of them is love. Love. The love of God. The profound experience of the love of the Father. There's nothing like it. When you can receive your identity and your belonging from God, there's no physical, material gift that compares to that love. Of the father. He leaves that. We have that gift. The groom would then leave to go to his father's property. And he would either build a room off of the the home. The father's home. Or he would build a separate uh, home on the father's property. That's just how things were done in ancient times. And this could have taken months. And the bride would have no idea when her husband would come back. She had no idea, but she would be ready. She would be in preparation. Now, again, Jesus uses this imagery of the ancient Jewish wedding ceremony and the building of the matrimonial home in John 14, 2 to 3. This is what he says. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's why Jesus said that. The people that heard this would have known exactly why Jesus said that. He's the bridegroom. He's going to prepare a place. I've got to be ready for when he comes back. No one knows the hour or the day, but he's coming back the Jewish people knew exactly what that meant because of the wedding feast, the wedding ceremony. And so as the, bro- the groom is preparing the home, the bride would be preparing herself. One of the ways she would prepare herself was to wear a veil. She would wear a veil, and s- which that veil would symbolize that she was bought with a price. That's what that, that's what that symbolized. She was bought with a price, the bridal price. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, for you, talking about us, talking about the disciples of Jesus, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's talking about the church. God's people who were bought with the price of Christ's death through his blood. Now the key here is that the bride was in eager anticipation of her groom's return. And she was preparing and being ready. Finally, once the father of the groom says, you know what? The house looks good, son. You're good to go. When the father gives the son the go-ahead, he would then go to the town where his, groom, uh, where his bride is. And when he just reaches the outside of the, the city there, uh, where his bride is, He would take a shofar. I can't do it right. That's that's the way I'm going to do it. (laughs) And he would blow the trumpet, the shofar, to let his bride know that he's here. Isn't that cool? Check out what First Thessalonians four sixteen to 17 says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so we will always be with the Lord. That language is the Jewish wedding ceremony language. Again, everyone listening in the first century, the Jewish people would have known exactly why Paul said that. Again, isn't that amazing? When we have an understanding of the feasts, an understanding of the Old Testament, how it makes the New Testament come alive in a brand new way. The trumpet signifies the return of the Lord. And the blowing of the trumpet is a sign of anticipation. And it serves as a reminder that the church, as God's people, we need to live with anticipation that Christ could come at any given moment in our lives. We need to live with eager expectation. For his return. The question is, do we do that? Do we do that? I want to close with this parable. Matthew 25. In a way, this is a haunting parable. You know, some of the things Jesus said were deeply encouraging. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Yes. But then there are some things where Jesus said and you're like... Whoa. It brings conviction. And so I'm just going to read it and leave it with you. It's in God's word. This is what it says. The parable of the ten virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, I want to leave that with us this morning as a challenge, but also as an opportunity to ask the Lord to speak to you personally through Matthew 25. And I say this as an encouragement. Let the Lord speak to you about how you can be, because listen, the will of God is for you to be like the wise virgins. That's his will. He wants us to be ready. The question is how? And that differs for each and every one of us. And so I want to leave that. The trumpet could sound at any moment. Let us live in such a way that we are anticipating the sound rather than fearing it. Let us live in preparation for our Lord to come. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Let us pray. Father, <clears throat> we thank you. Today's the day of Pentecost. Officially the day of Pentecost. The sending of your Spirit commemorating that day, and we thank you that we have your spirit dwelling with us and in us, that you speak to us, that you guide us, you teach us all things so that we would remember you and all your ways. And so, Lord, I ask that you would speak to each and every person here, each and every person listening on the podcast Every one of us, Lord, would you speak to us through Matthew 25, through the Feast of Trumpets, about how we can live with anticipation, that eager anticipation that the early church all had. Help us, Lord, to live in that way, to be ready, ready to do